Depending on them guests, I'm the token now Real bright, call me the golden child Look around, I'm the one that's chosen Alrighty, welcome everyone back to our second episode of the She's So Out of Order podcast. This is a discussion about pushing through, healing from our past hurts, drawing attention to our cultural imperfections, but at the same time being a safe place where we all can heal, we can laugh, and we actually can all walk away with tangible things that we can do to be impactful in our workspaces, in our families and in our communities. I am your co-host, Sasha Holmes. And this is your girl, Eureka the Truth, the founder of She So Out of Podcast. I am so excited today for this week's episode. Um, I just can't express on how excited I am. We have two wonderful um, guests today. So in talking about HBCUs and the fact that they still matter, um, we know that HBCUs are a taboo topic from both perspectives, right? Like those who went to HBCUs are just super passionate about their origins, super passionate about what we've done in the communities, how our people have overcome and created a safe space for us to learn, to be educated. And then also as our slogan is at Bethune-Cookman is to enter, to learn and to part to serve, right? And on the other side of that, we still have, I don't know how you don't know that HBCUs exist, but people People that maybe they live under a rock, who knows, um, that don't know anything about HBCUs or feel like they are a thing of the past. So we're super excited to get into this conversation today. But just to give you guys a little bit of history about the Bethune-Cookman University, we were founded by Mary Jane McLeod. Actually, today is her birthday. She was born on July 10th, 1875 in Maysville, South Carolina. She was born to slaves, which is super crazy um, that our dear ancestor was a child of, you know, slaves and decades after the Civil War, devoted her life to education, devoted her life to humanity, devoting her life and using her voice as an educator, an organizer, um, and a political activist. So since 1943, our college has graduated, and probably this number has gone up now, more than 12,000 students. Um, you know, traditionally, we are known for our athletics, we're known for our band, we're known for homecoming and all of those things. But, you know, we have intellectual individuals who graduated from, you know, our university and have made a predominant mark in our communities. And we have two amazing individuals here with us today. Um, and I can read through their credentials and we might do that a little bit later. But Darnell the Darnell Walker. Thank you so much for joining us. If you know anything about Bethune Cookman, he is just not just as important, but is up there with our founder to so many. We love you. We thank you. <laughs> Humbly, we say, and, you know, jokingly, of course, but thank you for how much you've loved on so many of us, um, what you do for the university, how you care, how you nurture us. Um, and I know so 
so many would say you're a staple in our community and, and we're giving you your flowers while we can. So we love you and thank you. And then we have the Monica Arrington. Um, she's also an educator in the community, super passionate um, about our university, about advancing us as a people, as a culture, um, very intelligent. And Monica, we just thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. So before we get into our questions, you want to chime in on anything, Eureka? No, no, no. I'm ready to go. All right. So whoever wants to take this one, why did you choose an HBCU and specifically why Bethune-Cookman? I, oh, go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Um, I didn't have a choice. Um, it was, I didn't have a choice. Like HBCU were, was the only option. Um, my sister first went to Bethune-Cookman University and majority of my life was spent being the minority academically. So it's always like the one black girl who's cheerleader, or like the two black girls that are. And so when I graduated from high school in Fairfax County, I'm in Virginia, and I made one trip to Bethune-Cookman when my sister went as a freshman, I was sold. Like literally, I remember it like it was yesterday. We went to the band field and the band was practicing over the summer. They hadn't played anything. They were just marching. And we're like, oh man, we don't really know. Like, I don't know what they're doing. So as soon as we get in the car, all you hear is like, you don't have to call Usher. They killed it. I was like, sold. Like I'm coming to this school. Like, I mean, killed it. I, I had never heard band expression in that way. And it felt so good to be seen. And you didn't have to say it. It felt so good to be like, oh, like your culture, you are understood without having to always initiate that. Cause that's exhausting all the time. Um, so those were the reasons why I chose Cookman. I didn't have a choice after that. It was HBCU or nothing. Um, and so, yeah, that was really my, my journey there. Did you apply to any other schools? I didn't. I, I thought I was going to go to Howard because I was in Virginia at the time or Hampton. And I was dating somebody at the time um, in Virginia. So I really felt like, oh, my gosh, you know. I I want to stay here, but I had already applied to Cookman and I was like, okay, I'll give it a you know one semester and then move back. After like a month, I was I was done. I was in Florida for sure. Like, yeah, there was no going back. I love it. Is that no, yeah. I, one, I don't know how I didn't know that uh Monica went to school in Virginia after all these years of knowing her, but uh <laughs> I know that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Uh but no, no, no. For me, yeah, HBCU, um, because of because of a different world. Like I had dreams of going to Hillman and found out that Hillman wasn't real and, you know, cried a little <laughs> bit. And then, you know, high school went on, um, I joined this organization and they took us on like a Southern college tour. We didn't go to Bethune, mm-hmm. um, but we, we went to like, you know, Alabama, uh, Georgia, of course, and all that. And I was like, yeah, HBCU, I definitely have to go to. But then I was a huge fan of Outkast. And I was like, you know what? I like the way they talk in the South. I need to go to an HBCU in the South so I can get an accent like these people down there, which was crazy. It's not a reason to pick school. It's not a reason to pick college. But, and it was the furthest, it was like the furthest school that I applied to that was away from home. And so I was like, you know, I want to, I want to get away. I'm from Virginia, from Charlottesville, which is, if anybody knows, like right now they're actually removing the statues. Racist, slightly racist town sometimes, but I wanted to get away and Cookman was, Cookman was it. Cookman was the place I applied. And one of my one of my high school teachers was like, oh, no, I've been to Bethune. They have a great reputation for like really educating the students. The education is is mm-hmm. up there, you know, with, with most schools. You should think about it. And he told me he was like, but, you know, I went in the cafeteria. They don't they don't allow they don't take any of the 
of the BS in there. They uh, they don't allow students to wear pajamas or bonnets and all this stuff in the cafeteria, so they might be kind of strict. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds crazy. And I got there and realized he was telling the truth. But uh, you know, you you realize you make the right choice. But Cookman was was great, um, and it was one of the only HBCUs founded by a black person. And so I was like, you know, the legacy there must be amazing. Mm-hmm. And so that, that helped me make that choice. Um, and I did. I actually applied to a couple of uh, a couple of PWIs and got in and then realized that, you know what, that's not going to be my life. I don't want that. And so Bethune-Cookman it was. Yep. And P- PWIs meaning? Predominantly white institutions. So, like, uh, yeah. So, it made it happen. And got in, I actually got into everywhere ex- for undergrad except Howard uh, because I didn't send them there for a uh, $400 housing fee that they asked for with the application. <laughs> and I was like, if it's refundable, why am I sending it? And they were like, well, we just require it with the application. Are you trying to see who's poor or what do you like? I didn't, I didn't understand. So, I didn't send it in. And they were like, we can't, we can't accept you because you won't send it in. But I ended up going for grad school. So, uh, and then, you know, got to grad school and realized that Cookman's education was top notch, you know. Awesome. Just like Darnell, my only reason for going to HBC was for different world. Like that really just shaped me. Um, I, I still watch those shows still to this day because I just feel like we probably know people that fit each and every last one of those characters. Um, that was the reason why I wanted to play it and everything. So, I mean, I think it's a lot of us around the world that owes our education and the reason why the fire we wanted to go to an HBCU is because of Hillman. And I know everybody's kind of mad with Bill Cosby, but we definitely have to give him his flowers for creating that show because it definitely paved the way for a lot of people to want to go to an HBCU. Yeah, most definitely. I didn't intend to go to an HBCU at all. Like, I didn't even know what HBCUs were. I went to a private Catholic school. Um, and much like Monica, like, you know, being the only black female, but we had actually, we had a lot of black people, but they were in sports, right? Like, go figure the stereotype. Um, but went on a college tour, came to Bethune and was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to that school. I don't like it. It's small. Is this, that, like all of the things that people, you know, stereotypically say and started to apply and realized, you know what, like maybe it's actually like not a bad thing. So it was between Bethune, Southern, and actually FAMU. Um, Thank God I didn't go to Southern because that was the year that all of the um, hurricanes hit. So, um, but Bethune was the first to accept me. So I think I was backed into a corner and we had college day and all of my friends were announcing like where they were going to college and all of that and just feeling the pressure and said yes to Bethune. And um, it was the best decision of my life. Like I wouldn't take back not a minute of my experience. So that's how I ended up at Bethune. Definitely. So I, for me, I wanted to go to um, Jackson State um, because I was in love. I played in the band when I was in high school, I played the saxophone. So I wanted to be a part of their marching band. Um, But just like Sasha, after that Hurricane Katrina came and that water started to rise and I'm like, I can't swim. So I will not be going down there. Um, I applied for FAMU because I definitely, I'm not going to lie, I want to go to FAMU so bad. I know y'all going to boo me, but I really want to go to FAMU. You're ashamed of yourself for that FAMU application. Right, exactly. (laughs) You're ashamed of yourself. (laughs) 
I applied. I had got a scholarship for the band, um, but the school didn't accept me because they said my test scores were too low and my GPA wasn't high enough since my test scores were too high. Um, so I got the right. opportunity to come <laughs> through the LAMP program. Um, so I had to go for the summer for like two months um, to go to these rigorous courses um, just to see if I could, you know, pass everything. And then at the end, if I passed it, then I was able to get accepted into the school. So that's how I ended up at Bethune-Cookman. And just like Monica, I was like, I'm out of here after a month. I'm getting ready to go to FAMU. And then I got in the concert corral. I met this young lady over here, Sasha. Then my grandmother loved us. And I was like, well, I guess I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Shout That's out cute. to Lamb. Now, why do I feel like you were a Lamb counselor? No, I, I, you know, I really wanted to be. Um, but then I was I was way too social to, to slow down. And, you know, I was kind of like Ron Johnson on, on a different world. I was doing too much. You were definitely. You were everywhere. <laughs> you were everywhere. <laughs> I was doing way too much in college and uh, having a good time to slow down and take on some mentees and, you know. I mean, you had us out there protesting. Like, one yeah, of my most true. profound memories was Jenna Six. Had no idea about, you know... <laughs> I'm Bahamian, first of all. So I don't think people even realize, like, I'm not American by birth. Um, and so, you know, protesting and all that kind of stuff and social unrest and all of that is not really something that we deal with in our country more than we deal with, like, classism issues. Um, and so to be introduced to activism on that level was new to me. And you introduced me to activism. I don't know if you remember that. I remember, yeah, I remember. I remember Jenna Six Boy. I remember, you know, how we got involved and yep. I had like a letter writing campaign and yep. and we got shirts printed and all of that. Yeah, shot. That was what, 2007? Yep. Yeah, 2007. Crazy. Well, he was one of the ones that made sure that bus got chartered and y'all went down to Louisiana. I know they went, but no, I wasn't part of that, no. The protest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So why do you guys think, or what do you guys think is the most common misconception about HBCUs? And I'll start with Darnell on this one. Yeah, I, I, um, that it doesn't represent the real world. Um, mm. I think, you know, you hear that so often. I didn't go to an HBCU because... It's not the real world there. You know, everybody in the world isn't black. And my whole thing is like, well, everybody isn't the uh, the world also isn't 5% black. Like if you go to a PWI. So like that argument is, is always trash. You know, it's like people say it and they have no idea the experience they have. Like even friends that I had that went to PWIs, they still have a very black experience because everyone you're with is black and everywhere you go is black. They have the black bus stop, the black eating times in the cafeteria, though, you know, you take classes. Black with your union. Right. You could, you could literally go to, you know, I went, I grew up in Charlottesville. We had UVA. And if you're black at UVA, you only see black people. <laughs> and so it's like that whole thing. So I think it's trash when they say, you know, uh, HBCUs don't represent the real world. And, you know, after graduating, I mean, my world is still very black. I mean, I have, you know, I have white friends and Asian friends and um, friends of all races, but it's still a very black world that I live in mm-hmm. and still very black things I deal with. I still deal with not getting my money on time from real people. <laughs> I still, <laughs> uh, you know, like all of those things they, you know, that you pick up at an HBCU happen to me in the real world. And when you, when you survive, I remember orientation at Cookman, you know, the first thing they tell you 
is, you know, if you can make it here, if you can make it through Cookman, you can make it anywhere in the world, you know? Yeah, and it's like, right. oh yeah, okay. <laughs> so, you know, you get into the world and you're like, you know, it's, the world is kind of, is a little easier. Like I've dealt with this before. I've dealt with having to go into these offices and deal with these people and negotiate and um, high stress situations and mental breakdowns and all of these things before I even made it out. And now the world's easier. So, you know, that's the that's the most common misconception I would say um, that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Monica. Yeah, no, that was really good, Darnell. I would say the most common misconception for me is that we only got in because our grades weren't good. And I'm like, well, I was on the honor roll and had choices, so I chose this. And a lot of people who say that are the main ones looking for the black experience in PWIs, right? So they're the main ones who are like over the black student union when my whole school was a black student union. So while y'all are trying to put in petitions for a black moment, I live in a black experience every day. Um, um, There was a friend of mine who um, pledged at UCF and um, he would tell me like, yeah, even to congregate, they would have to put in like a petition to the front office because that was considered an event where we would just like go to the quad and be ourselves. Like it, it wasn't something that we had to put paperwork in for because we were just doing things that were natural to our culture. And so for me, what a lot of people assume, oh, you're great. They were just giving you a chance. And for some, that is true. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you shouldn't shame people for that. Um, because in a lot of these PWIs, a lot of them got in because of ancestry, not because they were the smartest people in, 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 the, in the room. It's because my great grandfather is a donor and I knew somebody who knew somebody. Right. And we pulled some strings and we took a test. And so um, for me, that's one of the most common misconceptions like, oh, you know, your grades must not be good. So you you had to settle for when I actually Mm. chose this experience because it wasn't just about school. Like school is easy. The experience was important for me. So um, that that was a common misconception that I love to dispel often, especially with people who are sitting in the same place as I am. Like, oh, yeah, you went to a PWI, went to HBCU and here we are in the Uh same school working with the same kids. Oh. And I'm a little bit more proficient than you. Okay. Bless you. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's almost like you have to like prove your point. Like, but in this real world with this Bethune-Cookman education, I'm sorry, say that again. I said, okay, Tabitha Brown, dismissing them with grace. You know, I, I, I try, I, I'm a fan of this graceful gather these days. I'm really a fan of putting people together gracefully, you know, um, and Tabitha did care. That, but yeah, it's just always interesting because that narrative and that even disposition sometimes when you talk to people about when you went to HBCU, they almost assume like you have a lower level of education, but I'm working with you. We're at the same job and I might be a little bit more proficient than you are. Like I have known people who went to amazing PWIs and they quit the profession after two years. So it's like, well, maybe you should have come so that you could figure out how to do this in the real world. So, hmm. yeah, sorry, long answer for a okay, <laughs> I definitely one question. Another big misconception <laughs> is people feeling like if you went to an HBCU, you're not able to compete come on, that's what I was for say. certain jobs. Yeah. So we definitely have to work very hard to dispel that to let them know our education is just as good as you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I can't tell you how many, you know, youth and their parents that I talk to and of course, like pushing the HBCU agenda because I know so many brilliant people that come from this environment and will argue me down that the education is not on the same level as a PWI or, you know, if someone sees 
I don't know, UCF on an application versus Bethune-Cookman, they're going to go for that, you know, that UCF grad versus Bethune-Cookman. And it's just like smart people come from HBCUs as well. Very intelligent people come, you know, thankfully we have a vice president, you know, or in the highest, one of the highest positions, you know, in our government that is a product of an HBCU environment. So hopefully that has helped to dispel some of that prejudice that we see Mm -hmm. out there, but smart people come from HBCUs too. Well, that, you know, that, and, you know, you got, I mean, we just have facts on our side, you know, like A&T graduates, like the most black scientists and doctors in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out of A&T and came out of HBCUs. You know, you have Meharry Medical College, you have um, uh, Morehouse uh, School of Medicine. So you have like all these places where things are happening and people are like, you know, they just don't want to see it. They just don't want to yeah. see it. And it is true that there are jobs who look at applications and say, I will hire this UCF person over this Bethune-Cookman person, thinking that, you know, they must have had a better education at UCF. And it's like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, they didn't. And but I, and but I think that's also the power of the interview. Yeah, but that's yeah, the power absolutely. of an interview. Like, I've, I've never really had that issue once I get in a room, right? So mm-hmm. whatever's on my application has never been like a hindrance for me. Because yeah. I know as a product of Bethune-Cookman University or as HBCU, if you could just get me in the room, I'm winning. Like, mm-hmm. that's exactly. it. Like, and, that, and, that's like, the, and that's the thing. Yeah, that's the, and that's the part. It's like, I think that's for all of us. I think once yeah. we get in there, it's like, we got this. But mm-hmm. the problem the problem has been getting in there. And um, yeah. luckily, we're I think we're at a place now where people have been making enough noise. You know, like we have sure. people throughout government, throughout education, throughout nursing, uh, all of these professions that are like make and so we're in there we're like oh no you need to look at these kids from fisk and these kids yeah. from you know famu yeah. or whatever yeah. and it's like oh you know i didn't even like i remember when i first got to daytona and me and my folks we were at the uh the texaco right behind the football field mm-hmm. and this guy was like oh uh where are you going to school i was like bethune cookman this white guy there he was like oh where's that and i was like it's right here. And he was from Daytona. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I've never seen that school there. And I'm like, oh, you know, so it's like, nope, let's point it out. Let's point it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've been making a lot of noise over the last couple of years, I think, um, as HBCU graduates, alum, and it, it definitely helps that we have uh, Kamala Harris in yeah. office to say, yeah product of Howard University. Um, and we like, I know folks in the CIA, my, one, of, one of my fraternity brothers is a uh, secret service, you know, and yeah. it's like, we have these people uh, in place. Yep. And I love what you said about, you know, us making noise and even in corporate America, like one of, one of my passions is to ensure that they see that black and brown people can compete on that level. Um, and now we have things like, you know, BRGs and these black resource groups and things like that. And I I think it takes us getting into those positions and then going back and encouraging and forcing and, you know, showing our or our corporate offices and things like that. Like, listen, you need just as much resources as you're putting into recruiting from UCF or from, you know, FIU or what have you. Those same amount of resources need to go to our HBCUs as well. And so I think I love the fact that you said that. And that's a piece of encouragement that our listeners can take is if you have a seat at the table, Make some noise and go back and, you know, grab our population and let them know that those same resources need to be extended to us as well. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's about sitting, you know, they always say like sitting the elevator back down, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, and it's, it's important, like representation matters too. Cause you know, even when like, I, you know, I, I work in children's television. So we have uh, high school students that have come in and do a tour, like come and sit in the building and talk to people. And even if I'm not on the presentation, I make sure I go in there. So that mm-hmm. I can be like, Oh, I work here too. I'm a writer right. here too. And, oh, I went to Bethune-Cookman. I didn't go to NYU. I didn't go to Columbia. I didn't go here. I went to a small school in Florida. um, And I'm still here with people who did go to UCLA and, and USC. And uh, like Monica said, we we still have the same job, and I'm better at life same than job. you. I'm doing better at life and more creative. I've dealt, with, I've dealt with this craziness. I'm more creative uh, because we didn't have the resources they had. Come in on now. I was able to make up for. I was able to figure out exactly. a way to make that work. It was like, okay, I know if I go to Bethune, I won't get the internships that I want. So I got to, uh, or they won't come to the school to find me. I got to go mm-hmm. find them. And so Correct. it was like, okay, let me go out here and figure out a way to still get this internship still network the way uh the folks you know the people who went to the pwis are networking um and so i mean you know you just it's about uh supplementing all of that you know when you go to an hbcu it's great and it teaches you how to hustle so now i know how to hustle like there's nothing you know because of that like my friends who went to pwis it's like if something happens and you know they don't get the job or they can't figure out how to do this it's like there's a breakdown it's like mm-hmm. i don't know what to do now mm-hmm. it's like oh no just go out there talk to these people on linkedin find these people do this send this email and then you'll be okay mm-hmm. for sure no it's funny you say that because even when i got my first job teaching in sarasota um didn't want to be out there but i went and it was some of the greatest experiences in my life that was when i started sharing um for tampa at the time and when i was ready to leave, it was because of a LinkedIn situation. A guy who went to my church, um, rest in peace, Keevan Gillard, um, Mm. he had a friend who was the principal at uh, Buddy Taylor Middle School in Palm Coast. He's like, oh, you want to work at this school? I was like, yeah. So it's literally a matter of, you know, Keevan? Yeah, I know Keevan. You're a good person. You're a good person. Job. I walked around the school once, like, and it goes to your point, and it reminds me of Issa Rae. She literally just went back and reached for her people. She literally just knew who was doing the work and um, it was just a matter of really knowing who your people are. And I think the beautiful thing about an HBCU experience is that we all understand that it's our job to see each other. So yeah. that regardless of where you went, like the job in Palm Coast, I I didn't have to do a lot. He met me one time. He knew what stock I was from and brought me in. And I was able to do the job effectively, efficiently, and uh, moreover, not perfect because nobody is, handle a lot of cases, especially in education where a lot of um, people who went to PWIs would normally write kids up and give them referrals. Mm -hmm. They put them in my class and maybe they just needed a mom for the day. I needed to maybe, you know, do what I need to do culturally to gather them gracefully, Mm -hmm. um, but also keep them in in class and keep their record relatively clean. And so, um, yeah, that's such a valid point in terms of just really reaching back for each other. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about that because it's like, you know, like I'll make fun of FAMU all day, every all day, day on social media, Same. all day. And uh, but we all know, we all know them. We don't know them, but I, I will ask. Like HBCUs is kind of like we make fun of each other. We all have our rivals, but it's yeah. like I see you. 
Yes. And if we're all in the same place, and it's like, it's like you know, you might be in Japan and you see another black man, you can do the nod. Like, okay, I see you. Yeah, it's like right. that way. HBCU is like, I see you and I will hire you and I'm going to bring you into this room because we, like, sure. even though we went to different schools, we definitely had, like, the same experience. It's like growing up in a black household. We all grew up in the same house. It's like we all have the same experiences as in these black households. And so it's like, uh, so we definitely look out um, for each other. Absolutely. And we won't let other people be in front of us, too. Oh, That's absolutely. the thing. Like, yeah. I'm not going to let anybody outside of the HBCU. And it's one, because I do rules every year for homecoming. It's I'm really excited to do them this year because 2020 COVID, we can do them. But one of the major rules that I always say is, if you didn't go here, this isn't about you. So save your jokes because we're not talking to you. Like, and about like, these jokes aren't for you. I need you to joke about DeVry, ICDC College. You and Lil Romeo can do what you need to do. <laughs> but right here, like, leave fam alone. I can joke about fam. Right. But I, you need to have a seat because we're not talking to you. Like, this, this isn't like, at in this point, because it's just so damaging. And I understand the damage that even sometimes black people who didn't go to HBCUs damage, they can put around HBCU experiences because of the narratives that we spoke of previously. Right. So if, if you, if you didn't enroll, save your jokes, beloved, cause we, we good. Yeah. So yeah. Eureka, so I know you've been I trying to jump in. I will say that, um, I do believe in like if you go and try to get a higher education master's or a PhD, JD or whatever, I do feel that you should um, go to a PWI. I think that all across the board, it should be HBCU. And only reason why I feel that way is because you want to be able to show people that you know how to deal with people from different backgrounds and different races. And if you just only just do HBCU, then in some people's minds, they might feel like, well, only per- they only know how to deal with black people. So for me, when it was time for me to get my master's, I definitely went to PWI. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I hear what you're saying, but we don't tell white people to do that. Like white people go to undergrad web PWIs and they graduate, graduate PWIs and know nothing about a black experience in any way, shape or form and they still get hired. So I know for me, I release that pressure off of myself. It's too black for you. Move on, beloved, because nothing that's meant for me, miss me. And again, I have, I'm so confident in the education that I have and I'm so confident about people falling in love with me Mm -hmm. that I'm going to get any, anything, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's always been that way because again, I think for black people, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make sure we fit everybody else's mold. Nobody is doing that for us. They never have at all. They stay very white. And if you jump in the fold, you jump in the fold. And so um, I hear what you're saying, that perspective. And, and I, I, I under and, and, and respect it. I just know for me, um, that's not a concern for me in any way, shape or form. Like, cause they don't bend for us like that. They're yeah. not like, you know what? I went to a PW undergrad let me try this black school y'all okay let me just check and see yeah you know i did i agree 100% with monica like i i did undergrad masters and phd all at black schools and so i understand about um you know having that hbu experience um but i definitely do believe that on your resume you should also i'm trying to uh attend a pwi um, because I just feel that it just kind of helps people to know that you know how to deal with more than just your own race, that you are able to deal with other people in other races. Um, so I made sure when I went and got my master's in psychology 
that I went to a PWI because I just feel that it just it just helps you some because you just don't want them to just feel like all I can do is just deal with my own kind. You got to be able to deal with different people when you are working out in corporate America. Yeah, I understand and respect those sentiments. I but for me, white people don't do that at all. And I think the the issue at hand with that is that white is considered um, the norm that, you know, whenever you have a PWI experience, now you're reaching the whole world when in reality you're reaching white people. And so I don't know too many white people who go to PWIs um, for undergrad saying, you know what, I should go to HBCU to make sure that I can relate to the rest of the world. So if they're not doing that, I don't intend to do that either. I, I realize that my education at any HBCU is equivalent, if not more effective um, as theirs. Yeah. And, and and I, I agree 100% um, with Monica. I, I, I think, you know, before getting to these uh, HBCUs, we've dealt with a very white world. Like we've dealt with it and this is what sent a lot of us to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. And so to, to assume that we didn't, that we haven't dealt with white people um, before college would be just a, a horrible assumption on their part. Um, like we know, we know white people. We we've worked with them. We've gone to school with them. We've been educated by them. We've lived in a world that catered to them, and so we went to a school where we didn't have to do that. But we also know, like we didn't forget that once we graduate, we didn't forget how to survive in that world um, with those folks. Um, and so, I, which is why I think you know, like this whole critical race theory uh, debate that's happening now is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, but, because it needs to be talked about. But also, like, there's a book um, even uh, by K.S.A. Lehman called Heavy. Um, it's a memoir. And he talk, in, the, in the memoir, he talks about how he did, why he didn't like the Cosby show because he's like, I didn't understand how he had a black doctor and a black lawyer who went and lived and, uh, and worked in a very white world um, and they never came home and, and complained about white people. Mm. He's like, that didn't make sense to me. He's like, that made no sense because I, I grew up in a, you know, where I grew up every day, my parents and grandparents and friends' parents and friends would come home and say, you know what these white folks did to do? So, you know, we know, we know how to deal with them uh, and if we need to put it on our, on our resume, I wouldn't mind putting it on there like, oh, I grew up in Charlottesville. That's enough. That should tell you that I've dealt with white people my whole life. Mm, um, exactly. I know, how to, I know how to survive in that world. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, just because I didn't go to school there doesn't mean that it didn't, you know, that I can't. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and going to a PWI, again, does it still may not mean that I can do that. Like you have white folks who went to PWIs and they can't deal with each other. Come on now. But yeah, it goes back to that assumption that that white is the the real world. Right. When we when we built this, you know what I'm saying? Like you needed help to build Mm -hmm. this. So like that is the the narrative that has to be dismantled that you don't want to just relate to black. Well, again, white isn't the world at all. Right. And so when we can kind of reframe that narrative for ourselves. We won't feel this pressure to have to be like, oh, well, you know, let me make sure I'm diverse. I brought the diversity that that comes with me. <laughs> y'all need mm-hmm. to, y'all need to find me, beloved. Like I, I already I came to college with a degree in code switching already. I was already exactly. bilingual already. I need you to diversify. Like I need you to be able to to do those things. And so, yeah, 100%, let me not right. take more time. Let me help y'all give y'all just a little bit reality because it appears that a lot of y'all definitely come from some from a good background and whatnot. 
Um, so let me give you from the people that's come from the hood, because I don't believe none of y'all on here is from the hood. When you live in the hood, you do not go to school with white people. Went to Miami Northwestern Senior High, Olinda Elementary, Brownsville Middle, Booker T. Washington's Miami Central. We don't go to school with white people at all. Uh-huh. Like the closest you're going to get is Spanish. And with them, they kind of got that urban myth uh-huh. about them. So to say that what y'all just said, I get it. From you all's background, yeah, of course, you, you, you're diverse. But for, I would say, a good 60% of the world, more than that, honestly, I'm going to say 80%, we don't go to school with white people. We don't have a lot of white teachers. Me, I think that it was good to be able to say that I went to a PWI because I didn't like I cannot right, name you at all. <laughs> One you know, but, my class. but when you get there, but when you get there, they like I think the, the thing with that is they can't see that on unless you sit in their office and tell them that. They can't see that on you. And so mm-hmm. they, they don't know what your background is. And so you go into that school uh, to say, you know, I didn't grow up with black people. I mean, with white people. And I went here for that. You're not going to say that in an interview. Um, and so, and they also back on know that I'm from Charlottesville in the interview. They just, but they are, um, so they, we're just going in with all these assumptions. Um, and so them, so by saying, you know, I, I went to a PWI. They it, they it shouldn't be a situation where they say, oh, you know how to work with us. It should just be, oh, okay, well, you know, like it yeah. shouldn't even be a thing. Like, it, you know, that shouldn't be a thing. Um, that is a, a valid perspective, though. Yeah, yeah, no, that is a valid, valid perspective. All, so my, my question for you, uh, Eureka, then, is that do you feel that you are more equipped after going to a PWI to deal with white people in your field? Or did you feel like it was just like, was that your first time dealing with white people? No, I mean, when I was growing up, like I said before, until I got to college, that was my first time being around white people. And even if we be honest, when, when I was on Bethune-Cookman, that's from 2006 to 2010, I can honestly at BCU only recall maybe about 10 white kids that I saw. So, you know, until I got into a corporate America is when I started to work with them. And like so many others that I talked to my friends from back at home in Miami, they'll tell you like some of them don't like white people. They don't feel comfortable when it's times to go out and network. They won't show up to certain events because they're like, I don't feel comfortable with them. I don't trust them. I hate them. So sure. again, I just really feel that it's always good to just be able to have that experience so that you just know how to work with people. Sure. And, I, and and everything you're saying is really valid. I just think when I say or when we say uh, things like in order to be diverse, you must. It's such a strict structure, because when I hear those types of things and not to say that you are are saying it in that way, but just, you know, hear, hear what I'm my heart and what I'm trying to say. Um I try to make sure it's applicable in all places and spaces, right? I'm looking at the white kids who only go to white Catholic schools, high schools, only go to PWIs and graduate and for whatever reason can maneuver this world so well. And so I think even to that experience, there are going to be some black people who only grew up around black folks, but guess what? They're going to get in that job and learn, right? Like I, I don't, I don't believe that in order to be a good person in this world, I have to make sure all of my academic experiences, um, um, are, are quote unquote, um, 
gosh, what am I trying to say? Um, diverse mm-hmm. racially, because even within the diaspora, there's diversity. Right. There are black people that didn't grow up in the hood. There are black people that did. Right. There are black people who grew up poor. Like within the diaspora, there is diversity. Mm-hmm. I experience white people every day. They run most of the stuff that I go to, whether I see them or not. And so for me, it's just a matter of if white people aren't doing it in order to be successful, I don't think black people have to do it. Yeah. If you choose to do it and it benefits you, by all means, praise God, that's yeah. awesome. But for me, regardless of where you come from, you can have academic experiences mm-hmm. with black founders and still maneuver this very world, in a, in this very diverse well successfully, because white people are trying to do it to this day. Um, right. And, and so, interview, yeah, that, that's in an interview this week. I heard Dr. Uh, Yaba Blaze. She said, you can rep your set and not distance yourself from other races. Right. Absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. The minute Mm -hmm. that we say, you know, I appreciate that I went to an HBCU as a Bahamian born woman. I didn't learn about true, real black American history until I got to Bethune and took an African-American history class. I didn't know that Mm -hmm. we were kings. I didn't know that we were rulers and that we were smart Mm -hmm. and articulated to the degree that I learned to appreciate from being Mm -hmm. at an HBCU that our ancestors weren't only slaves. That, you know, Mm -hmm. that they had political voices and that they were strong and they were smart and intelligent and articulated. And even 12 years later, I'm learning that we had Central Park. We had, you know, uh, Seneca Valley and we or, you know, the valley. We had um, Black Wall Street that we built Mm -hmm. banks, all of those things. Like I I feel like when we say we're proud of being black. When we say that we're proud of our ancestry, that does not mean that I'm anti-white. <laughs> like, why? Sure, sure. People anti-white. Mm-hmm. So we're not. Right. I don't think, and I agree with Monica in saying, like, I don't feel any longer that I have to make myself small or use a capital B in my blackness in order to make someone white around me comfortable or seem well-rounded. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let me ask because, you a question here. Because so mm-hmm. y'all have never seen any black person that. Pretty much they went to white schools their whole life, growing all the way up. They was like some of y'all just said, the only Oreo mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. bunch. That mm-hmm. when they got around black people, that they didn't even they didn't feel comfortable themselves around their own people. Because oh my gosh, me looking at them saying, Oh, I know, I feel all the time. And they felt uncomfortable. So that made them leave the school oh, yeah. and go back to the only thing that they knew that would accept them. Sure, but I think that's not the question at hand isn't about comfort, it's about being able to successfully maneuver in a diverse world, right? So you're always mm-hmm. going to have areas where you're not comfortable anytime you're removed from your comfort zone. If I leave my home and I was raised by my parents and move out on my own, there's going to be a level of discomfort. That's that's a part of life. That If I move from middle school to high school, there's going to be a level of discomfort. If I transition from school to school, there's going to be levels of discomfort. I think the, the bigger picture is that Black people don't have to go out of their way in order to accommodate what the world, the, the view of diversity, Versus, which is white, because white people right. are not going out of their way to actually meet the true diversity of this country, which not is not white. It's not at all responsibility to make comfortable in our blackness. Like we, we, we are not responsible to. I don't know to educate them on unlearning their racial behaviors. Absolutely, yeah, and, that's, and that's and that's my part. That's my part because it's yeah. like. Like I had a question, I had a, you know, I did a film on like black people leaving America and I had a question and answer period and this woman, 
she speaks as an older white lady and she says, uh, you know, reading this book called Waking Up White and it talks about how white people, we need to realize our privilege. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And she's talking on and on and I mean, she's making some great points and I'm like, yes. But then she says, but you know, I feel like as black people, you should all help us out when we're, when we're not um, doing it, when we're not recognizing the privilege. I was like, no. Absolutely not. It's not our job to help you out. You read the book. You now have the information. It's your job to share that with other white people. And it's your job to keep that and do that yourself. Like, we are not obligated to do anything. Thank you. It's like now all the protests that are happening since George Floyd and Breonna Taylor last year. um, Like, I was in New York for all that. And in New York, we can protest. And 95% of the protesters are white. And I'm like, yeah. Yep. Correct. We've been here. We know what we're we know what we fight for. We've been doing it. Y'all haven't been paying attention. Correct. So, well, let these white people do it. Let yep. them, and they know they know what and these people who are here know what the problem is. They know why uh, the problem exists. Let them do that. And and, 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 and the truth of the matter is, I'm not responsible for willful willful ignorance. If I feel like educating exactly. you, I will. Like if, if I and that's what right. I again, black people are are not monolithic. We're all different. So and I had to tell mm-hmm. a, a friend of mine that who happens to be white. Um, I and I say happens to be white because she's aware, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, shout out to Amanda Seals for that for that. Um, but yeah, like there are there are people who are gonna want to help. That's their right. There are some people who don't, yep. and that's the right. And you just have to be okay with that. There are going to be some that are aggressively like, I don't feel like dealing with white people. And I know it's annoying and hard, and that's not the end goal, but they have that right because we've been through so much. They, right. They're tired. There are others who have a little bit more empathy and a little bit, you know, kind of can feel differently and are willing to kind of extend more olive branches. And that's the right. And I would take those branches when you can. But the truth of the matter is your willful ignorance. It's not my responsibility at all, beloved. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot right. any right. longer make that my job because it's exhausting in and of itself. So, right. sorry. Yeah. And, sorry. Your, and, and your comfort. Your comfort is not my job. Is. Oh. And to your point, Darnell, too, is like, there's no such thing as like reverse racism, right? Like, right. Right. One, I'm going to touch this and, and go. Black people can't be racist. We don't own the power. We can be prejudiced. Mm-hmm. We don't have, yeah, exactly. We power. Can, so yeah. as an individual who holds the power, it is your job to undo whatever it was that got you to where you are now. As mm-hmm. the lesser, quote unquote, and I use that loosely, it's not my job as the victim to teach you how to not victimize me. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. Abuse. Exactly. <laughs> That's an abuse. Yeah. 100%, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh. I think neither one of us really want to come to the table and just try sure. to hash out the issues. You know, I mean, if we all can sure. just come together and just stop looking at each other's skin, we could really be powerful in this world. Absolutely. Yeah, but, sure. but, but there's so much that has to happen before that. Like Exactly. You know, like, so like I travel, right? And so I remember going to... Germany and uh, I was in Berlin and, the, and a white lady in Berlin. She's like, "How, how are you? How are you enjoying Berlin?" I was like, "You know, Germany is actually an amazing country, and I'm surprised that I love it so much." And she's like, "Why are you surprised?" I'm like, "Well, you know your history. You know what y'all did." And she's like, "Oh yes, but we mm. we've she's like we've apologized for that. We've gone out of our way to show others that we will never return to that. We condemn those who who we we condemn those who." Um, act in any way as a Nazi or, you know, talk like are in favoritism mm-hmm. or apologize for Nazi behavior. 
Yeah. We we uh, have consequences for that. And I was like, I love you it. know what? The U.S. would never. I was like, the U.S. wouldn't even say, I'm, they can't even say I'm sorry for what we've done. Absolutely. Yeah. never acknowledge the wrongdoings. And so until, and like, so when I, you know, when I travel, like, I'm able to come to the table with, with these people over here, with people who are very different from me because they've done the work. People here haven't done the work for me to come to the table. Like, like I've been to so many um, tables at, at this point in my life. Like, I've been an activist my whole life, and I've, I've been in so many tables with these people who say, we all just want to come together and figure out how we can uh, work together and embrace this gap. It's like, okay, but we get there, and they don't want to acknowledge all the wrongdoing. You have to, And they don't right. want to acknowledge all the... And it's like, you have to do this before yes. I come back. I need you to have this. Is, here's here's what I need from you. I need you to apologize for slavery. I need you to apologize for all this. And um, they're like, oh, oh, this is a lot. Yes. And so when you're ready, give me a call again. So I, now I'm not showing up. Like that's why. Like I'll still go to the protest to take photos, but I know where I know y'all don't really give a shit. I know this is all. Mm-hmm. To make you feel better. Um, you bring up whatever. a good point. Think about all of us have experienced trauma. Yes. Like that's something mm-hmm. we yeah. all identify with, whether it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, rejection. Like we've all experienced trauma to some degree. And I think we all can agree that in order to heal from trauma, well, the best way, right? The most preferred way mm-hmm. to heal from trauma is, you know what, Monica, when such and such happened, I realized that you felt rejected, neglected, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm sorry. Yeah, right? I'm sorry. And right. From that mm-hmm. point, you can start to to mend and bridge a gap towards healing. But you right. can heal from what the what the abuser is not will or properly heal from what yeah. the abuser is not willing to acknowledge. And right. the beauty, that's the beauty of the movement that what you have going on with traveling. When you try, it wasn't until I got to Paris, honestly, that I looked around and I'm like, oh my God, this is New Orleans. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm in New York. Hold the hell yeah. up. Like America yeah. literally stole identities. <laughs> like yep. and that yep. might be yep. a minuscule for someone. But for me, that was like a pivotal moment of my connection with I'm going to be proud of who I am because everything around me is not quite truth. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think to your point, Darnell, it's written somewhere in in some paperwork back in the days that slavery or enslavement, let me not put slavery there because that makes it seem like it was a choice. Enslavement did occur. Um, it, it has been acknowledged, but there hasn't been any actionable items to rectify. It. And that's what Germany did. Right. They made right. sure there were actionable items, i.e. Mm-hmm. laws that make certain behaviors punishable. And so before we can all get to the end of the race, there are some to be acknowledged. And I think the reason that it's so difficult, especially for white people to come to the table, because black folks are always coming to the table, um, is because for them, they would have to really reconcile, not with just white folks, but it's their grandparents, it's their moms and their dads. They're gonna have to go home and deal with Nana, who's ignorant still, right. and grandpa, right. and who's and ignorant part, still. They have and to call that's them hard. A liar. They, they have to call them mm-hmm. a liar. They have to check their own people. So it's really easy yeah. to say white, black. It's a lot easy. It's a lot more difficult to say grandma, grandpa. Like these are, this is my mm-hmm. family. And so when, when right. th- that's where that fragility comes in, you have to realize that, especially for white listeners or anybody who's outside the diaspora, for sure. Um, 
or even some who have the privilege of looking white, even though they're biracial. Okay. Um, Cause that's a thing too. Cause they can go in those spaces and really make change as well. You have to be yeah. willing to be uncomfortable and check your family members. If you're, if you want to come to this table, because for 100%. you, it's going to be 100%. family members, you know, for us as white folks, yeah. for you, it's probably grandma, yeah. grandpa, or even your mom or dad. And so that's mm-hmm. when we see those steps, now we're ready to come to the table. Now we're ready to be exactly. like, okay, exactly. let's all come together. Cause that is the end goal, but we can't come together. If you keep acting like this isn't happen or doesn't have, there hasn't yeah. been ramifications of enslavement. Um, so yeah. yeah. And it's crazy, you know, you say that cause I, I just got back from- uh, I want to say first, um, I think before we can go to the table with the white people, we also mm-hmm. need to come to the table for ourselves first. Because if we can come together and heal our own trauma and the issues that we got going on and how we're killing on each, killing each other, you know, not helping each other get to where we need to be at, then we can't never come together as a whole so that we can go to the proper people and say, hey, this is what we are demanding. This is what we deserve. Because they're going to continue to keep going back and saying, well, y'all disrespect each other. Y'all kill each other. Y'all doing this. Y'all doing that. So it has to start first at home so that we can come together as a mighty fist to be able Mm -hmm. to step up against racism. And and you know what I say? Oh, Darnell, hold on. Let me go. Darnell, Darnell, let me go. Let me go. Dad, let me go. So I hear what you're saying. And this is what I say to those responses. Imagine you're in a household and you're an adult and you have two kids. And the and this is going to be so graphic. So please bear with me. Imagine if the parent is abusing the child, abusing the child, abusing the child. That child then goes to the counselor and says, oh my gosh, my, my parent is abusing me. And the counselor says, well, you fight with your brother all the time. So until you and your brother stop fighting, why would you complain about your parent abusing you? We would never mm-hmm. say that. So with that in mind, we cannot make equality in our country the same as black experiences. Cause the truth of the matter is what happens in black communities, crabs in a barrel mentality, um, killing one another happens in white communities. Talk about it. Asian communities, mm-hmm. every community it happened in yeah. Japan. Nine, and I lived there for six years. 99.9% of them are Japanese. Japanese gangs be killing each other, mm-hmm. uh, killing each other. It, so yeah. it happens everywhere. So a lot of times it's, it's all right. proximity. So I'm not going to sit here and tell our people, listen, before we can get that right, you wouldn't tell a child before you talk about this abuse from your leader, Listen, you better Monica, stop fighting with your sister. Monica, this is That's just what I think. And I think Darnell, you also... And Eureka, let me just say, first say we both it, we're, we're talking openly. We respect, you know, your thought process. Absolutely. Well, and I get it. I completely get it. I had to check my own self. You know, my husband and I had a conversation the other day and I, I'm putting him out there. I love you, babe. And I was talking about how I'm reading the Bible from start to finish again, you know, just because it's been a minute since I've done it and how trifling, you know, the first <laughs> civilization was trifling. Yeah. And yeah. there's parents are Dinah and, you know, she's she's born into a family with all brothers um, and they travel to this new nation and she gets raped. And her brothers are like, oh, no, we about to go and kill whomever did this to you. We're taking their lives, period. And my husband and I are having this conversation. He says, but, you know, Dinah was a mess. 
And I said, excuse me. And he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it. I get it. I understand. Right. And I was like, okay, well, let me go ahead and explain this to make sure both of us have the same understanding. Right. Because she was a woman. Right. Because she was dressed a certain way. Because she carried herself a certain way. That does mm. not give anybody license to her body nope. to have nope. his way with her without consent. And he was like, I know, I know, I know. I get it. I get it. It's just reframing my thinking. Like, I'm with you, babe. Right. And to me, that's the same mm-hmm. thing as saying, you know, oh, well, black people, you know, they're killing each other. So, you know, white people, I mean, we can't expect them to respect us because we don't respect ourselves. But this is a product of slavery. Like, we forget that's that. what they've done. Right. This is what they've done. This is a. They've created, they've created it, and they, you know, it's like uh-huh. we created it, and we're gonna turn that back on it and talk and talk trash about it. It's like, no, this is what you've done, so this is how you need to fix it. If right. you want to fix it, you sure. think us, you would you would help us get out of here? Because um, uh-huh. like everything, it's like what's the what's the new show? Uh, Black AF on uh, Netflix. Like every yeah. episode is uh-huh. entitled because of slavery, and 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 that's no. literally what's happened with this. It's kind of like. Um, well, why are black people killing each other? Because of slavery. Why are black people in the hood? Because of slavery. Why are black people uh, killing each other? Because we don't have, because of money situations, because of socioeconomic situations, and all of that comes back to slavery. That you put it's a, you planted drugs in our neighborhoods. You 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 took everything away. You literally correct like put in the red line so yeah. that we would live purposely and impoverished. So what do yeah. you people to do? Created the project. So created the project. Gave gave women five bedrooms, four bathrooms for their kids, and said, "You're you're the man can't live here." You know, because of slavery. And so it's like, okay. So, right. so to say that, to say that, you know, uh, until we respect each other, you know, that doesn't work. Um, that's for me. And, no, no. Um, yeah. No, and, and Eureka, and they, I understand your perspective 100%. Would, and I feel where you're coming from, Eureka, in terms of like, oh, I'm sorry. I can't go with that. So I'm, I'm here. I am. I'm about to be out of order right now. Go ahead. I am tired, sick mm-hmm. and tired, overly tired. Of hearing us talk about that. I think that black people are some of the most smart, intelligent people in the world. And we can do anything that we want as long as we mm-hmm. come together as a race and fight for it. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that we continue to keep doing is that we allow people to put a carrot in front of our faces. And then we take that those carrots and say, oh, that's all that we got. Instead of going around it and realize that our potential and our talents that we have is no reason for you to make a a career choice of being on um, TANF, being on Section 8, sure. um, being on food stamps, mm-hmm. where you can sit up there and go to school, go to a trade school or do something to get yourself off of that. Even if you have to be on it for a while, you could be saving your money, having bank accounts, um, making sure that you are getting um, life insurance and stuff. But we don't do that. Because we sure. yeah, but you know a lot of that a, a lot of that comes down. Oh, so we have to take responsibility. We can't keep saying the white man, the white man did this, the white man did that. At this point in time, we are educated and we are more we in a better position than what our ancestors was. And in my opinion, our grandparents, our great grandparents, they was better than us because they understood what was at risk and they had mm-hmm. black businesses back then. The neighborhood came together, but we don't have that. We have become very lazy. We have become very entitled and we don't understand what the bigger picture is. And then we keep pushing on the slavery. Slavery, it happened. It's sad. It's unfortunate. But we are in position to make changes. But we have to stop. I hate to say it. The nigga mentality. And a lot of us have that. 
I understand everything that you're saying. And I agree with the concept of accountability. What I will say and where I disagree is that we are not the only group of people who have been disenfranchised. We're just the only group of people who did not get reparations. And so the truth of the matter is that beyond what we feel, the truth of the matter is just like the Jews and the Germans, when they did what they did to the Jews and the Nazis and all that fun jazz, they understood the issue and repaired it so that that group of people can be where they are now. The same is true about Native Americans. The same is true about the Japanese. And so there are small things. And the reason why we continue to mention enslavement is because many of us are doing exactly what you're saying. We are going beyond the boundaries. But what I can't do is punish people who can't because Mm -hmm. they did not have those same opportunities like I did. So because I exceeded the expectation, exactly, because I exceeded does not mean that the barrier is right. Just because I surpassed it does not mean we should not acknowledge this barrier here because the truth of the matter is Every other disenfranchised group, their issues have been acknowledged and repaired. But when it comes to black people, we are literally supposed to be magical. And I don't think when black people mention enslavement, it's an effort to say, oh, we want to be lazy and not do anything. Shoot, we built this country. I don't want to hear another black person talk about us being lazy. Without us, you're not here. So laziness isn't our issue when we're being working from dusk till dawn. That's not even a time. We're just waiting for the sun to set. Keep in mind, um, uh, time changes. So obviously, if, imagine if you live in Alaska and it's daylight for 12 hours most of the day. You know what I'm saying? So you're literally working hours beyond hours beyond hours. So laziness isn't really a DNA issue when it comes to black people. I think for me, it's just a matter of when we bring up these things and we bring up these barriers, it's not meant to keep us held back. It's saying, yes, although some of us made it, that's good, but we cannot penalize people who did not when we did not acknowledge the issue at hand, like you did for the Jews, the Native Americans and all those other groups who were disenfranchised. Not to say that we shouldn't hold each other accountable, but the truth of the matter is there's still things that have not been acknowledged and repaired. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, and you know it's, it's a, and, it, and I think another part, like everything you just said, but also like on a personal level, like the access is, is crazy, but also it's trying to start from nothing, right? It, it's kind of like with me, like on a personal level, um, just to relate, it's kind of like trying to save money, right? Being black. And you have, you have no money. You're trying to save money and you have to choose between feeding these people, chasing this dream, doing this work. And a lot of times, because of situations that, that racism has us in, we can't do it. Like, I wasn't able to save money until something like I just happened to get $15,000 somewhere and realize, oh, this is how people are able to get rich because they had money to fall back on just in case. Mm-hmm. So, now, so, they've been able, so they've been able to have access to these things. Like the kids, you know, the white kids we went to school with, they had access to these things that I didn't have access to. They had parents, like the, the woman who uh, she was looking for a house one day and the realtor showing her this house and he's like, oh, this is a little bit out of my budget. And he's like, oh, well, you know, can't you just get a uh, $20,000 loan from your parents? No. And she, she's like, no, absolutely. I can't do it. What do you mean? He's like, that's what most of my clients do. 
Oh, because most of your clients are white. Black people can't do that because our parents have to decide between feeding us or, you know, paying an electric bill. They right. going to college was, was crazy enough. It was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to make this work, but I'm going to somehow get you there. You know, and right. so some of us are lucky, but we're not the rule. We are accepted. Sure. So many like rules because of slavery. It's so, like access to so many things. And to even like, bring up, sorry to cut you off there now, yeah. even to yeah. bring up the issues of enslavement doesn't mean, and that's one of those things where they're always talking about, you know, you're being divisive when you bring up things that are problematic. No, you're not. Acknowledging that there's an issue doesn't mean that you're living in the past. It means that you're progressive. You have a growth mindset, right? So just because I can persevere doesn't mean I should have to because everybody isn't persevering. Like uh, the goal is equal. So just because I can push through and can go through hurdles, I shouldn't have to because there's somebody who can't and it's not their fault that they can't. And Monica, I think just to bring this back, I think the beauty about you know, having HBCUs, how many times do we encounter students who said, I'm a first generation college yeah. student? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm a first generation college student. And so that means from grandma, great grandma, great, great grandma, great, 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 great. No one along, you know, the path ever said, here's how to acquire wealth. Here's mm. how to get off of section eight here and whatever. So we could use the excuse and say, okay, well, you have the internet, you have Google, you have all of these things. But when you're focused on paying bills, when you're focused on surviving, when you're focused on just trying to eat and feed your family, you're not thinking about all the possibilities. And the, the, I had to humble myself. You're talking about sure came from that mindset. Like I did it. We, my family did it. We came from a whole other country and survived. Well, we came from a whole other country and survived because we weren't really focused on finances and mm-hmm. things like that. So we had my grandmother came first. Then she sent for my, or my aunt came first. Then she established her business and sent for my other aunt and she established mm-hmm. her career and then sent for my uncle and my mom was the last to come. But by the time we came, we already, we were already good. So we yeah. get it out the mud in that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Back to your point, other, what, what are y'all basing y'all comments off of? Because Data. I worked for <laughs> Department of Children and Family in Florida for 10 years. Up here mm-hmm. in D.C., I still you know, work with families and stuff. So I get a chance to see the highs and the lows of people in these poor, poor neighborhoods. And so a lot of what y'all saying, I don't know y'all basing off what I know, or I just heard someone says data. Data. If working with impoverished families, you should be the first, uh, uh, agreement. What y'all saying? What I'm saying. Y'all kind of off a bit. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Y'all kind of off a bit. So you work in a field that you work with impoverished people. People, you already know that the resources are limited. You know that they're just work. They're living to survive. Not really per se. Do you know how much stuff these people get? Like the whole time during this whole coronavirus, these people were getting food stamps twice a month instead of the one time. Well, where right? But what, they, but what can they do with that? Some of them get security checks. They get tenant check. They get child support. They probably make more money than we make in a month driving right. nice now. Right now, but the question is: the question is, what 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 can they do? What can they do with 
how hard they have sex a month? What can they do with government assistance that's going to take them out that bank? Because once they say, okay, let me go and try to get this job to prove to y'all that I'm not lazy, all of that goes away. So now they're making $10 an hour. And now they still can't feed their children. Now they still can't go out and achieve those dreams. They still can't do that. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get this. I'm going to get this unemployment check. I'm going to get this disability check. Get these food stamps because this is going to take care of everything I needed to take care of to keep us alive. And and Darnell, do what we're not addressing, die. what we're not addressing is soul sicknesses, right? Poverty right. is a mindset. And then you have that. Right. So it's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's like now, now I think what we're not saying, what we're not saying is that there aren't people, black folks, that abuse the system. Right. We're very clear on that. Yeah. We're, we're oh, aware. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. We're, we're definitely aware. What we are saying is that there's a reason for it and there's data to prove it. And there's a reason right. why a larger, first of all, for us to be, I think about 16%, correct me if my wrong statistics, maybe even 20 something percent of the country black. And for so many of us to be on government assistance is enough data to tell you that there is some disenfranchisement. There's a gap. Why mm-hmm. aren't there so many white people? What is it that they're getting that we aren't? That's what you that should be showing you because where they come when you have people that come there and say hey we hire right here on the spot making about $25 an hour and people don't take advantage of that you know how many times you have trade schools and different other schools saying right now you could come to this school for free sure. but for, for sure but then right. but, but, now, but you can now, say that and if I have the, license, no, 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 no. everything but Sorry, they don't take advantage saying, of that I'm why saying, because they I would say, I would say yes I say no I, I hear you but why would I why would I take that $25 an hour when I can make uh, $7,000 a month on this uh, for free you know I mean? But that's holding you but, back because now you and you're never going to be able to grow and see your true potential because you keep taking this handout instead of saying, like, I have people and they want they to assume I don't want to live in nothing else but a house. I don't want to sure. mm-hmm. live in a house. And I'm, sure. I'm looking at but, this, I'm like, but, but, that's, but that's not everybody's dream. But that's not, but, but that's not everybody's dream, though. Correct. So that's assuming that everybody's dream is to go have a house and, mm-hmm. um, you know, make a, make a million dollars. Like, I don't want to make it. I don't care if I'd never make money. I don't care if I, you know, as long as I'm happy. I just want to be mm-hmm. happy. I, mm-hmm. Some people's dream is I just want to make sure my kids are fed. Absolutely. Sure my kids are good. I want to make sure that my kids have these opportunities. So mm-hmm. right now, I'm going to survive the best way I can, and that's by getting this instead of that. But you're um, not really helping your kids. But you so, so we can't, so we can't assume... We can't assume, sometimes, some, that, that's not everybody, but that's sometimes. But we can't assume that everyone has our dream. And I think also we have to remember that everybody is not going to be a millionaire, right? Like this is right. a, like everybody is not going to be in this financial bracket. And even those that are, and just thinking about the black community as a whole, when we speak about um, those that are uh, in the lower socioeconomic bracket, a lot of mm. times when those opportunities are presented, they're not prepared for them. Not unintentionally, but the truth of the matter is I would love to take this $25 an hour job, but I got two kids. There's no childcare. I don't have the capacity to take it at this time. Not to make an excuse, but the truth of the matter is you've got to be prepared for blessings. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Preach it to That's myself. Yeah. But you know what I'm yeah. saying? And, okay, so I can pray and want for better. And, and, and that's another thing. Better 
better for me might be a house and a white picket fence and a maid that comes in and cleans once a week. But for somebody else, better is being able to pay their rent on time. I got food in the crib. Everybody is safe and we right. all made it home. And, and so we cannot sit here and say that because they don't have what we consider as success, they're, mm -hmm. they're living off a system. Because the truth of the matter is this welfare system wasn't started for black people. It was started for white folks. And so mm -hmm. we live in and a country. Still the they're, they're still, still the, the biggest. It, they benefit the most still. And so if we're looking at it by demographic, right, because there are just more white people, that's going to change over time. But still. Mm -hmm. So when we look at a country, right, we, classism is a real thing. And the beautiful thing about this country is that we have resources to help each other. And so just because mm. somebody is receiving help, it doesn't mean that they don't want better. The truth of the matter is most of us will not be millionaires. Not me. I, yeah. I'm going to be. But you know, most won't be. I'm speaking, I'm speaking over myself. Amen. Okay. So I want to make sure I speak over myself. I can't speak for everybody. Same, same. But you know, but I know that everybody's not going to, but guess what? Everybody can't handle millions. A lot of people right. can't even hand in thousands. They can't handle 20 bucks. Right. And so right. I think it's unfair to say they don't want better for themselves because their American dream doesn't look like mine. And I know I had to unlearn those um, beliefs as well. Like I used to tell I was coaching at a, a high school and um, I remember talking to a coach and I was saying to him, you know, man, if you, they would just, you know, know how to talk when they get into a room. And these are, you know, black football players. They just, you know, talk a different way. You know, you got to know how to like pretty much code switch. And he was pretty much telling me like, but why? Like, I'm still working here with you. They still going to look at you as the same black person as they look at me. So why? And he taught me over time. And I was like, oh, you're just ignorant. You just because you're not well-mannered like me. You don't talk like me. That's why you're not successful. Not realizing that I was going to be fired the next year as well-mannered well as educated right. going out of my way right. to fit the norms that make you feel comfortable. And so just because right. other people's norms don't feel comfortable for me, and if that's hood, that's cool. Guess what? The hood is fine. By all means, don't hurt each other. Don't yeah. kill each other. Don't, you know, but it's not my job to mm -hmm. project what I think the American dream is on them. Because, on because somebody else, projected right. on us. But yeah. And when we did have it, they burn it down several times, several yeah. times. And I yep. only knew yep. about Tulsa. I'm not going to lie to you. I only knew about Tulsa for a long time. I had no idea that there were so many massacres like that. I had no oh, idea. Oh yeah, many, many. Clueless. Every time we've done it, every time we've done it, it's been burned up. Yeah. yeah. So now that we're living off of what you gave, now everybody got an attitude. All right, cool. But we don't want to look at that data. We don't want to look at that. Yeah. Hopefully what we gathered from Eureka, first of all, we appreciate the work that you do in the community. Um, as a licensed counselor, we appreciate yes. that you have the gifting and the patience and the passion to yeah. go to these communities and help Help those who are disenfranchised to help them to think a different way. And so, like you said, it's not our everyday world, right? And you uh -uh. have these levels of frustration because this is your world. You're in it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But I, don't, but I don't look at statistics. I look at facts. And when people do that, that's why we still stuck in the way that we are in because... But numbers are facts though. You, you have to really look at what's really going on until you put your hands in it. Uh-oh. So we're talking to, we're talking to a, a counselor 
and a scientist. So Monica right. is 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 conditioned to think in terms of you know numbers and statistics and things like that. But what what I hope people conclude from this episode is that great things come from HBCUs that we mm-hmm. can sit at the table and have intelligent conversations that you can yeah. be. I mean, even even this has been diversity of thought. You know, like absolutely. Conversation has been a diversity of thought. Yes, and so we we come from a very diverse place. A very diverse place. Absolutely. HBCU campus. It's a very diverse place. Yep. Absolutely. And the fact that we can debate on this level is this is how we debated in college. We hold absolutely each other accountable. We don't let each other off the hook because we're black. We don't take excuses from each other. We encourage each other to the highest level of degree and making sure that you are your best selves and your most authentic selves. That's yeah. a beautiful part of it. And if there was a white person at this table, we would love on them. They can. Oh yeah. They can come out, come to the cookout. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We don't got to invite everybody. I'll bring them a plate. Right. In foil. On a lighter note, we're going to ask just a couple more questions because we definitely don't went way over. I actually got to run. Yeah, Darnell, we got to let Darnell go. Because I got to go back up into this hill and top this tree. But I do want to thank y'all for this conversation. And I'd love to come back again anytime y'all want me on here but I don't Go know. Go chop the tree. Go chop the tree. I'm going to chop this tree. Thank you and for I appreciate the y'all. Tree. And thank y'all for this conversation. It's been dope. And let's uh, let's talk soon. I talk to y'all all the time. Absolutely. We love you. Uh, we're, we're I love See y'all. you at homecoming. Bye. See y'all soon. Bye. All right. Speaking of homecoming, where as we wrap up, homecoming is the best part. One of the best parts of being a part of an HBCU family. So Eureka, what are you looking forward to this homecoming? Are you even going to homecoming? Um, I'm not really sure. Um, because <laughs> last year it was supposed to be be my 10th year and um you know of course the virus Mine too. Set up and um I don't know what's going on with our class officers no one has stated that are they going to be doing something to make up from that for this year so I'm not really sure shouts out to class of what 2010 yeah 10 10 we love y'all thank you y'all are smart brilliant Monica thank you so much for sharing your time Eureka thank you so much for lending your platform to us mm-hmm. You know, God gave you this vision of talking about the controversial things. And even in episode two, honey, you are sure to keep up your end of the bargain and be controversial. So <laughs> so what do you want people to take away from this episode? Um, I just want, you know, everybody to understand, like you pretty much just stated that, you know, whether you go to a PWI or an HBCU, um, we all at the same level. Um, we all going to come from different walks of life. Even people that went to PWIs, I'm sure you got people that are considered to be, you know, lower class or rednecks or whatever. Um, so we can still, you know, come together, learn. We have something to offer. Um, so we just got to continue to just believe in each, each other, holding each other accountable and just keep moving forward, you know, and that's what it is. And we're going to have disagreement. Like, as you can see in this episode, I'm pretty much definitely was the minority, but it's okay. I'm standing on what I know to be true and just and all the rest of them stood on what they knew to be true. And it's okay, you know, but as long as we, you know, take something from this episode and say, let me just take a step back and look at myself and figure out what I need to work on so that my community and so that uh, mankind can just grow and prosper. Absolutely. Monica, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Um, That um, whatever's meant for you won't miss you. Um, And so whether you go to HBCU or a PWI, 
Um, never focus on what's missed, put more focus on what's meant. Um, because if you believe what's missed is so amazing, imagine what's meant for you. Just imagine it and let that sit, let that hang, right? Like if I thought what missed me in this place or space in my life was so awesome, imagine what has my name on it. Mm. Gosh, how amazing is that, right? And so if, if we focus on that, I promise the gifts that God has given us will thrive with that they're supposed to, because it has our name on it and it's assigned to us power in our history and changes on the way. And so even if it's minuscule, um, one step forward is still a step forward. And so I'm excited to be a part of that change in my own little way, um, to be a Black science teacher, pushing the narrative and pushing um, what it looks like to be an HBCU grad while being talented, right? Um, and artistic and, and all those other things. So um, my my last leave would be what's meant for you. Has it missed? you and focus on what's meant and not what's missed. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that in alignment with what both of you said, one thing we knew about our founder um, is that she was a connector, right? Mm. And she spoke across color lines. And we know this because of her relationship with um, President Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt. And so mm-hmm. what we're not saying is that we don't desire to integrate, that Absolutely. we don't like to bring unity. That was the very foundation of who our founder was. She Absolutely. wanted us to invest in the human souls because it might be a diamond in the rough. She said to us, the beat of Africa still beats in my chest. They will not let me rest while there's a single Negro boy or girl without a chance to prove his worth. And mm-hmm. and and the thing about HBCU students is we are worth something. Yeah. Period. And so don't yeah. miss out. And the last thing, and, and this is what I think Eureka was saying, she said, we have a powerful potential in our youth and we must mm. have courage to change old ideas and practices so that we may direct their power towards good ends. And so that would be our our last, you know, thought is we have power to change our minds. We have power to change the mindset. We have power to go back into our community and pull out those diamonds in the rough. And we won't stop until those people that we're assigned to succeed. So thank you for joining us for our second episode. Monica, thank you for lending your time. Darnell, uh, thank you for lending your time as well. We love you. And any parting words, Eureka? Yes, I would like to leave y'all with a quote from Marcus Garvey. The black skin is not a badge of shame, but rather a glorious symbol of national greatness. Thank y'all for joining She's So Out of Order podcast, and we will see y'all next week. Have a good day.